0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today, he's a life and fitness coach and entrepreneur. It's Craig Moreau. How are you doing today, Craig?
1: Good. How you doing, Alex?
0: Doing good. We're so excited to have you on to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up.
1: So I was born in Methuen, Massachusetts. Uh, we lived there till I was about eight. And then we moved to New Hampshire. Um, I was just really into sports. I was a natural athlete um I just excelled at everything that i that I did, and that was like really my my passion uh growing up was always sports related you know soccer basketball uh baseball as I got older, it was more basketball and football, but basketball took the cake I played that year round.
0: Sometimes as kids, when we're growing up, we're always idolizing a certain athlete. For you, what athlete were you idolizing or something about them kind of sparked interest? Like, I want to be like them because of certain things.
1: Uh, I would have to say Allen Iverson, uh, for sure, because I didn't get my I'm like 6'2 now, but I didn't start growing until like middle of my sophomore year. I was always like really small, uh, but I was very quick. Um, I had, I kind of like mimicked his, you know, his crossover and, um, you know, he always beat the defender on the first step. So I, I kind of did that. And plus like the, the tenacity that he played with on the court was just like, you know, being so undersized, you know, and I mean, he was six feet, but in, in the NBA, that's, that's small. You know what I mean? And just the way that, that, that he battled every night on the court was just something that I admired and looked up to heavily.
0: (laughs) With height being such a controversial topic with basketball, did that ever play an effect both physically and mentally for you? Like I'm not at the height that I should be because of what basketball players are usually at, but you kind of use it to your advantage in different ways.
1: Yeah. I, so I never really looked at it as a, as a disadvantage because, um, you know, mimicking somebody like Allen Iverson who never let it stop him. Um, I was able to, you know, make the most of uh it kind of amplified the other areas that i was strong in like you know my my dribble uh chord vision um you know and stuff like that so i never really um never really let it affect me and i never really looked at it like a, a disadvantage
0: i usually did that same way as i always called myself the wild card because people look at <laughs> and they're like oh you're not an athlete but Pick me last, you're going to regret it. Or pick yeah. one on the court or field, and you're going to regret that decision. That's it. It's like a hidden secret that I always have. Yeah. On the wild card. Did you ever think about going like pro or really excelling at a professional level or club teams, select teams, private teams for sports? Yeah.
1: I mean, that was something that I definitely wanted to play at least into college. Um, and it just wasn't in the cards for me. I started getting uh in trouble my best friend was killed in a car accident uh my junior year and um before that like my my parents split when i was 8 uh it was like 2 or 3 weeks i'm not really sure it was very shortly after moving into the new house um and back then you know they always try and I mean they they did the right thing. Everybody did the right thing as far as like letting me know like this is gonna be a big transition, this is gonna be hard, this is gonna you know, giving you all the, you know, ins and outs of like what you're gonna be dealing with. Mm-hmm. But in doing that, I wasn't aware, obviously because I was eight, but looking back after the transformation I've had, I just wasn't aware that I had the ability to not let it define me. Cause I feel like a lot of times with trauma and and experiences, we tend to like identify with that. So like I use that as a crutch, like for as long as I can remember, like, well, I came from a broken home and my parents split when I was eight and, you know, it wasn't easy for me. And it was just like a a victim mindset because I, again, I just wasn't aware that you can have it, let it, you can let it define you or you can, you know, rise above it and overcome And um, I didn't end up doing that until, like, I was almost 30. It was probably, you know, six or seven years ago that I started, like, framing it like that and and being like, all right, listen, like, this this can't. Because after after the the road that my life went on and the trajectory that it took, um, I was just a very angry person. Um, my father and I weren't emotionally connected after they split up, he was still involved. Like he wasn't like absent, but I always felt like he was absent and he always felt like, um, you know, we just didn't have that emotional connection for so long. Um, so that really had an impact on me emotionally. And then, um, my mother struggled with relationships and abusive relationships. So we were around that and that was tough. And then, um, I started dating and I was mimicking the toxic relationships that I had been around um, unknowingly. And um, yeah, it, it was just a, it was just a constant battle of trying to like figure out who I was and why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And then uh, once my friend passed away, that's kind of when I spiraled out of control. And um, I had always been the uh, like designated driver cause I was always the jock and I never really touched um, you know, the drugs and the alcohol. I have a lot of alcoholics in my family. So I, I see like the result of that. So that kind of kept me on the right path for the most part. Plus like, I kind of used that to like feed my ego. You know what I mean? Cause I always had like a very, very large ego from, you know, I, I feel like it was just like the emotional baggage that I was carrying. I just had this lens of the world that like I was terminally unique, you know, like nobody had the problems I had and nobody feels how I feel. And I, and that's what kept me stuck for so long. But I used to let, you know, the fact that I was at parties and not drinking, I would kind of like use that as like a, a confidence boost. Like, oh, look at me. I can, I can be here. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was always around, like my friends were using drugs, and that was when, like, the OxyContin craze was was around. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I remember one night, I think I was in a, I got in a fight with the girl I was seeing at the time, wicked toxic relationship, and um, he was busting out a pill to get high, and he asked me if I wanted some, and he usually did, like every so often I'm like, no, no, you know, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. And then for this night, for whatever reason, I just did it. And it was like, I had finally arrived. Like I just went completely numb emotionally, spiritually. I just like, and I was like, oh, this is, this is the answer, you know? And um, that's when I had to like get into, That's, that's when I get really, it really took off for me is, is realizing that I was able to numb these emotions with a substance and feel okay. Or so I thought at the time, feel okay.
0: Do you ever look back at that first time where you took that pill and kind of say, what if I didn't do it at that moment? How would things projected later on or where would you be today? Do you ever look back at that as that being the really the big moment of a change? Or did you need that change to kind of really learn to get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so it's almost it's almost both if if I'm being honest because during the height of my addiction because that that led to you know alcoholism and then I was an IV drug user, I was shooting heroin, cocaine, meth, crack. It just got very, very dark for me. I was living out of my car and then totaled the car. Then I was under bridges, couch surfing. Um, so it got it got very bad very quickly. Um, and in those moments, you know, of like utter hopelessness, that's when you start thinking, like, man, if I had never if I had never done that, you know. And then you realize, like, statistically speaking, I shouldn't even be here. I overdosed twice, I got brought back. And statistically, for heroin addicts, the recovery rate is is in the ground. And um, and I lost a lot of good people that, like, deserved to make it out that didn't. So when you're around that and people start dropping, like, flies, and then you somehow keep making it out, you know, unbeknownst to your knowledge, you start realizing, like, there's a deeper meaning and there's, like, a purpose. And then when you start looking for that purpose – the dots start becoming connected. So once I started doing that, then I realized, okay, I needed to go through all that because I'm, I'm a vessel today in order to help people like share my story, help others overcome their, their pain and their suffering the same way that I overcame mine. Um, but it took a lot of work to get to that point. You know what I mean? A lot of removal of, of all the shit that I was using over. And, um, you know, it definitely wasn't an easy road, but, the transformation and, and the growth that I've attained from going through that—it's uh, not something that I regret today. I can say that confidently. Like, I don't think I would be as valuable today. I don't think I would be, you know, as proud of myself or as, and like, I wouldn't love myself the same way if had I not gone through all that. And it took a lot of. Uh, a lot of time and acceptance to, to get to this point where I'm at today. But people ask me that all the time. Oh, well, what do you regret? And I, I don't have any because I, I just have such a, f- a strong belief in, you know, everything happening for a reason. And I'm very big on like conscience congruency and, and listening to those internal notifications that you get inside from the universe that are, that are guiding you either one way or another. And, and when you reach that level there's almost like no mistakes and there's no coincidences.
0: And that's, that's how I feel today. You talked about the journey through the battles that you face, both drugs, alcohols, and everything. Was there a specific, specific moment that was like the huge rock bottom that this needs to change? I need to get better because I'm putting maybe others at risk. I'm putting myself at risk and I need to get better for the future me.
1: Yeah, so you know, addiction's a funny thing because it's you're so selfish and self centered and egotistical, but everyone else around you gets the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think like you have it worse off, but you're dragging everybody through the mud during during this addiction. And what people don't understand is coming to the conclusion that you need help is a long road. Like everybody around me knew that I was fucked up long before I was even able to admit it, you know? And that's where, that's where like true hopelessness is Is when people are calling you out, like, dude, you don't look good. Like you need help. And you're just in complete denial, like just lying, lying and lying. It's just like complete dishonest way of living. Um, that's, that's scary, you know? And, and looking back, like those are the, the times that I was just like, wow. But I was just so stubborn, you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, I I can figure it out. Oh, I got this. And, you know, it's just getting progressively worse and worse. And I used to always look at other people and and compare myself, you know, like we do that as addicts, active addicts. We kind of compare ourselves. Like when I wasn't using needles, I was like, well, at least I'm not using needles. But I was doing more drugs than that individual. Mm -hmm. I just was doing them in a different way. But we kind of rationalize like that, right? And then, you know, like when I work with other – Addicts, I I always tell them like I always put a yet after it because we tend to do that. We'll rationalize, say, "Well, I still haven't lost my house," and I'll say, "Yet." Well, I haven't overdosed. I'll say, "Yet," because every yet that I had put into my life like was was realized. Even death, like I overdosed and got brought. So there was like there was no more yets for me at that point. You know, I I had done them all, and that's where it was like really scary. And it took me like letting my God down and just finally admitting, like, I don't know what I'm doing because I had gone to, you know, numerous rehabs and detoxes and I tried cold turkey and I tried switching drugs and switching alcohols and swi- I, I tried everything under of the sun and, and it just wasn't working and my pride just wouldn't let me, you know, do it. And, um, but I remember one time, so you know how they say, when you hit rock bottom, that's when you turn your life around. Yeah. <clears throat> I hit rock bottom so many times and it just kept like getting deeper and deeper. <clears throat> and so I get, I get emotional. When I think about this. Uh, <clears throat> so I was living with my cousin at the time. Cause I burned every other bridge. No one wanted me to stay with them. They didn't trust me not to steal from them. And, you know, they didn't want to, walk into the bathroom to me overdosed and it it was like it's it's messed up dude like the stuff that you put people through like you know what i mean like your whole family like doesn't want you around because they don't want to be the one that finds you when you're dead like that's that's deep you know what i mean like I, i had no one else you know she gave me gave me a shot and and i still like was getting high there and I was walking out of rooms with blood dripping down my arm from shooting up and you know, the her, her kids are seeing it and it's like, I was just a mess you know, and, and it, it wasn't obviously it wasn't malicious I was just sick, I was just a spiritually sickened individual and I, I just needed help and I ended up taking her husband's car to the store to get a pack of cigarettes and on the way back I nodded off and I hit a rock and Popped the tire and I ended up, it was like a mile from the house, but I rode it home on the rim, obviously, because I'm a knucklehead. And, um, you know, she was obviously extremely upset. He was pissed. And uh, we threw the spare on and we're driving to go get a new tire. And um, he was like, you know how they say when you hit rock bottom, that's when you'll you'll change and i'm like oh yeah yeah i heard that he's like brother stop digging and i was like what and he's like stop digging you're there you've been there for years stop digging and i just started crying you know and i and it was still like years after that before i got sober but like that's what I tell people. It's like, don't underestimate the power of planting a seed. Because even though it may have took me like three more years to finally get sober, I'll never forget him saying that until the day I die. And every time I have a chance to speak about my addiction and things that like, I always mention that because it's, it was a so powerful of a moment for me, even though it didn't like instantaneously change me. And like, it was just so powerful The like. I'll, I'll just, I'll never forget it. So that's definitely one of those moments for me.
0: Did that hurt the relationship between you and your family member that moment or how is it today? Have you guys grown from it? Have you been there for each other because
1: of, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we've, we've always been extremely close and, um, she's actually mentored me in, in a, in a lot of, uh, areas in life. And she still remains, you know, a mentor to me today. Um, She kind of grew up around that too and, you know, understood that she understood like the addict's point of it, you know, so she was kind of more sympathetic to it, but also like she was fed up too, you know, because you you can't, you know, she, she kind of walked the line where, you know, she always shot it to me straight and then eventually there came a point where she was like, you, you just, you got to go get help. Like you can't, you, I'll drive you to a rehab or a detox or wherever you go, but you can't stay here anymore. And that was the, that was a story in my life. That was like the the cycle that no matter where I was at, I would just dry up the goods. And then until they told me I could leave and then I'd find somewhere else to go, Or oh, I would go to detox and I'd, you know, spin dry and then I'd come out and I'm already planning in detox how to use it. You know how to how to get high before I get home, and how to, you know what I mean. Like the addict's mentality is—it's just the intelligence that that addicts possess is like out of this world. And there's such a stigma on it, but the things that we go through and the schemes that we that we create and manifest and all the plots that all the pieces that we put together—it's like it's like an orchestrated phenomenon just to get, you know, enough money to get high or to get the possibility to, to use. It's crazy. And that's what I tell addicts. Like if you guys can channel that into a positive direction, like I have today, like it's unstoppable because it's the same dedication, just with a different purpose.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that how you're talking about like the mentality of an addict, it's like taking those same skills or t- that mindset, but changing it into a positive direction, they're going to be able to thrive in any situation or anywhere they go, both career and personally, because they've been through that mindset in a bad time. And if they take it and reverse it, going to positive, they're go- not golden, but they're able to c- go even higher. And to excel expectations.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely for sure. And it's like a, it's like a, th- it's a three pot like disease. You know, I, I think it's a, it's a spiritual disease is what it is. And, and the way out of that is finding um, and deepening your spirituality, but like it's mind, body, and spirit. So like the mind is the the craving. That's when like I wasn't using, but I kept obsessing about the next time that I was going to use. And then the body is like the compulsion. That's the, you know, when you hear one is too many, a thousand is never enough, or once I start I can't stop. That's referring to the compulsion part of the disease in the body. And then the spirit part is like the restlessness, the irritability, the discontentedness. Like you're, you're just always, you know, if you're at home, you want to be at work. If you're at work, you want to be over here. If you're, you just, you never feel comfortable in your own skin. So, you know, there's a program in place to kind of fix all of that and, and render you from the hopelessness that, that you live in an active addiction.
0: You talked about going into sobriety um, a few years after the incident with your cousin's car. What challenged you during the time of sobriety and how do you think that's made you who you are today? Um, I don't
1: see. It's tough because when you live the way that I lived and then you have the life that I have today especially like not statistically supposed to be here. Like this is all a bonus. And, you know, I am human and I do get, you know, stressed out. And like, I still go through the, you know, the human emotions, but like, that's one thing that I always check myself on. And it's like, this is a bonus round. Like you have a purpose today. And that's something that I didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. I I didn't understand and I was I was lacking purpose and then everything everything was a challenge to me because I was either making it a challenge or I was just attracting, you know, so much hardship and negativity through my daily habits, it was impossible for me not to attract more to me. So I always looked at that like I was just dealt a bad hand of cards or You know, nothing's ever goes my way. And now I just look at challenges as opportunities. You know, it's an opportunity to rise above. It's an opportunity to deepen my spirituality. It's an opportunity to, you know, for change. It's an opportunity for growth. I just try and look at everything as an opportunity today. But one thing that was kind of tested it was my, my meme and my uncle passed away within a year of each other, I think it was like six or eight months um, when I was like, I want to say I just celebrated like my first year or it was in my first year of sobriety. And that was the first two losses that I've dealt with sober. Because when I was in prison, my first 30 days in prison, my aunt passed away. And then the following year, my grandfather passed away, um, but I was using in prison, you know, so I, I was still getting high here and there and I was still, so I never, and plus I was, I wasn't doing any work on myself in prison. I was kind of just like waiting to get out and pick up where I started, you know, and, and that was, you know, but again, that, that was, it's all part of my process, but yeah, I would say, I would say th- mourning and grieving those those two deaths were the biggest challenge for me so far
0: do you feel that prison you you talked about how you kept living the life that you were even in prison were you shocked that there was no wake-up call for you in prison like it didn't kind of like you see the shows like beyond scare straight or 90 season and things like that where you hear the stories, but people actually are wanting to change because of going in there and they don't want to be there anymore. Did you not have that? Or it was like, I'm just doing what I need to just survive. Um, <clears throat> well,
1: I feel like being, you know, growing up the way that I did with what I went through, I learned to kind of like chameleonize. You know, okay. cause, I, cause I never really knew who I was. So I was able to kind of like form and adapt, you know, mend and bend my personality to fit, you know? Um, But before going into prison, cause I, I almost killed somebody. I, I drifted over the line and hit somebody head on. They had to get med flighted and everything, you know, thank God it was all right with them. But um, she was at my sentencing. She was a, a mess. I was a mess uh, my mother and my cousin were there. Everybody was bawling their eyes out. It, it was like, and and I was living it up, you know. Before I went to prison, I was drinking, getting high every day. It was like it was like a going away party for like the the last two months before I went to prison. Like I was celebrating this shit, like you know that. But that's how I lived. That was the ego that I had. It was like, oh, this is just well, whatever. I'm going to prison, you know. Like nothing really sunk in. I never really dealt with consequences i didn't i just didn't look at them as like Mm -hmm. anything to fear or worry about or you know and that's what made me so dangerous in that aspect is because like i didn't fear a consequence there was no fear there so there was no limit to what i would do or how far i would go um but so the ride to prison from the courtroom after experiencing all that emotion and everything that was like man fuck like i i really did it this time you know And then you get into prison and then, you know, you're around a bunch of people just like you, you know, doing the same shit you're doing. It's just like that chameleon, you know, came back and it was just like, oh. And then, like, you know, I I always said, like, I I lived good in prison, you know? Like, I I got along with everybody, you know? It it was like... But you also have to, like, make the most of it, too, as far as, like, accepting, like, you're going to be there for a while, you know? Um, I do wish that I had done you know more work on myself while i was in there um but you know just it just wasn't the time but it was just it's just something that i just kind of like fell into like there were people in there doing their thing like i still talked to one of them today he's a good friend of mine um but he was just like he was always like writing songs playing on the guitar he was working out he was meditating he was like he was just like deep diving into spiritual development he was like when i get out i'm gonna record an album and he got out and recorded an album um so like there were people in there that were able to do it i don't want people to get misunderstood like i just chose not to it's like i just went with the the easy route and fell in the groove of things
0: You talk about wishing that you did work on yourself. But now, currently, you do make a difference and work on yourself. And fitness plays a big part of that. What's been the big motivation for you when it comes to your journey with health and fitness?
1: So the way that I look at it, right, is I'm truly grateful for the life that I live today. I'm grateful for this vessel that I inhabit, like the human body, I'm grateful for the people in my life. Um, But gratitude is action. So in order to prove and show that I'm truly grateful for this vessel that I inhabit, I take care of it and I maximize it to its potential. In order to prove that I'm grateful for my family and the people in my life, I show up day in and day out as an example that they could follow. And I lead them in the right direction to be the best them, by being my best me. Um, I'm grateful for this life that I live because I use my hardships that I went through and turn around and help others to overcome theirs. So gratitude is action. So, and most people, it starts with health and fitness because let's face it, that's the one thing you have control over. You can control what you consume and you can control what you do throughout the day. So if you're eating the right amount, you know, of macronutrients and you have a daily habit or daily habits that set you up for success every day, then that's where you're going to succeed. And then the the discipline and the focus and the consistency and the hard work and the delayed gratification and all the stuff that dieting and working out teaches you, those things, those traits are applicable in business, in family, in life in general but it starts with you, you know? So like, I always like to bring the clients on and, you know, have them create the individual that they admire in always. So what do they look like? What do they feel like? What kind of energy do they carry and transmit to others? And from there, we just start constructing that individual through, you know, small steps and small choices, even the insignificant ones, because those are the ones that matter.
0: When you're getting a client, what are they really connecting with you on? As there's so many coaches out there, what's been drawing them to you personally? I think it's just
1: the realness of the content. I'm just, I'm very like up in your face and, and raw. Um, and I just tell it like it is. Like I, I love ain't lies. So if I see somebody that's, that's fucking up, I'm going to tell them, you know, if they're <clears throat> doing stuff, something that's not in line with, you know, who they should be or or where they're trying to go, I'm going to call them out on it. I believe in compression over compassion. And a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, man, Craig's really an asshole. And it's like, but I I have to be. And the reason why I have to be is it's, that's what helped me. Like when people started being raw with me, instead of Mm -hmm. like consoling me and comforting me and oh you're trying your best. And you like, when people were in my face, like, your best isn't working. Now it's time to do what's required. Whatever the fuck that is, that's what you need to do. So you need to find another level. You need to dig deeper. And you need to get the shit done. Like when people started connecting with me on that level, that's when I was like, oh, this is it. Like the the Cardinal and shit never worked for me because it just keeps you stuck. It, may, it makes you feel like, oh, it's okay where you're at. And, uh, you know, it's. You know, you hear it all the time, it's oh, it's it's your genetics, or it's where we, we grew up, or it's where we and it's all it's all bullshit to me if you if if I'm being honest. And and the reason why is because I've lived in both <clears throat> both ways. I've had the the compassion and the coddling and I've had the compression. And now I'm able to self-compress. And when I back myself into a corner purposefully, like that's when the dog comes out and I'm able to overcome the adversity. So having that master like mastering self to that level of degree is something that is like it's totally beneficial if if you're trying to like really max out this, this life that we live in all areas. And, and, you know, that may look different for every individual, you know what I mean? My, my max out standard is going to be different than yours. And, and, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry might have, you know, different ideas of what you know the potential for their life is going to be my job is to just kind of raise people from this mediocrity standard that seems to be so common today and be like like there's there's more to this you know there's more out of life and and it's not even it's just like the feeling that you're able to to possess when you live a purpose-driven
0: life you talked about being real with people and i think that's the time where people really to see how much grit they have in them, where if they're able to push themselves to the next level, where you have that coach where it's keeping them on that same level and they don't want to really push them. And I would hate that. I mean, I'm a person that I'm going to tell it how it is. And I'm going to push you to become the greatest version of yourself. I want that person to do the same thing to me because Mm -hmm. I want to get better. And I always see that as a positive because a lot of people do the bare minimum and they can go to that next level. They just haven't been pushed to get to that next level. And it sounds like you're really doing that with your clients, is really pushing them to that next level that you know that they can get to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and they understand that I live it. Like this this blueprint that I teach is like what I need in order to survive and to thrive the way that I do on a daily basis. And I document everything. Like, so these people know that I, I live it and I really do this. And I feel like that's something that a lot of coaches, <clears throat> excuse me, struggle with. Um, you know, I talk about it all the time. Like I want somebody who has the results, like who I know is living it because knowledge to me is useless without an application, You know, like I, I, I get a chuckle out of these personal trainers in the gym where the only way you can distinguish him and the client is he's wearing a shirt that says trainer. Like to me, you know, it's just like, okay, you, maybe you have the knowledge, but you're not applying it
0: Mm -hmm. for,
1: for yourself. You know what I mean? I believe like as a coach, you have to look the pot and you have to live the pot. It's not about because people, people connect with you on a deeper level like that, because they're like. This motherfucker really does this shit. Like he doesn't miss. He's yeah. up at 1:30 every morning. So when I tell them you need to get up at this time to do this, they're not going to be like, "Oh, well, you don't do that." They know I do it because I show that, you know? And I feel like <clears throat> like those are the people those are the people that helped me get to where I'm at today were the ones that I knew lived it, you know? Okay. Cuz I I've been through that whole you know, like I said, the rehabs and the detoxes, and they always try and tell you like these little, you know, tricks or tips of how to not pick up the first drink or drug. But when you're that hopeless addict, like I was, and that hopeless alcoholic, that's like bottom of the pit. Again, we don't think about consequences. and We're not able to play the tape out, as they say. It's like, well, if I get high, then this is going to happen. This person's going to be upset. I might lose my job. I might do like that's playing the tape out. We don't do that. It's just like, I need, I need to get this fixed. So when I would go to rehabs and people were telling me this to all play the tape out and, you know, take some deep breaths. And, and I, I was like, one lady was telling me that this therapist, and I was like, can I ask you something? I was like, do you drink? And she was like, yeah, you know, I have a glass of wine at dinner with my husband. Sometimes you know, on the weekends, we have a couple beers. I'm like, what the fuck could you tell me about not drinking when you still drink? Which is one of these people that went to school for addiction and got a license, which is, you know, she's doing her part to give back. But, like, somebody like me, like, you, if you haven't lived it, if you haven't, like, gotten to the point where you're sticking a needle in a, in your arm against your will, like, when you're getting high against your will and you still can't stop, like... I need someone who's been there and who came out of it, not someone who studied what the addiction does to the brain and gives me a little color chart to follow when I want to get high because it's not going to work for me. It may work for some people. I'm not going to discredit it entirely, but I'm saying from my experience and what I needed, I needed somebody who went through the fucking gutter and walked through hell and came out the other side. And when I found that person and they were able, like they related to me on an emotional level. And that's where that's something that I carried on like into my coaching is I relate to people on an emotional level because it's honest, it's valid and it's, it's about the connection, you know,
0: with fitness playing such a big part in your life. Do you have a fitness goal that you're looking towards a competition an athletic event, something that's exciting for you? Or do you feel that you, your goal is how far you're pushing yourself.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's it's the feeling that I get through doing the work is the result that I chase every day. Because I'm a firm believer in the man that takes more pride in the steps that it takes to achieve the result is always going to go further mm-hmm. than someone who just likes the destination of the result. And I tell people all the time, like, cause they come in, Oh, I just want a six pack. And Oh, I just want to lose 10 to 15 pounds. And then I get them on the program and I get them to that goal. But the way that I do it, like it's total transformation of mind, body and spirit. So it may start off superficial, you know, where it's like, I just want to look like this. And I just want to look, but like through the work, they deepen, the understanding of themselves and they get to a place where they're like, I just want to amplify this like as much as I can. And then you chase the feeling that it brings you. Like, that's what, that's what people don't understand. It's like when they don't prioritize the personal development, like nothing else matters to me, you know, like I can't be the husband that my wife deserves. If I'm not the best me, I can't be the best father to my kids if I'm not the best me. Like when I was getting sober, I would say like oh i'm <clears throat> you know I'm giving it everything I have and I, and they're like, you know my my mentor was like, "You think it's possible you're leaving love on the table, and I was like, What do you mean by that?" and he's like, You can't exceed love past the point that you love yourself, mm-hmm. so if you only love yourself at sixty <clears> percent, <throat> that's all you're giving your wife." That's all you're giving your kids. So you may feel like you're giving, you know, them your all. But if you got 40% in the tank, like you're leaving love on the table. And I was just like, this just blew my mind. And I was like, damn, like it really does start, you know, with me, you know, and, and in doing that, you know, my wife got into a personal development journey. My kids work out and, and you know, they care about their health and their fitness and, you know it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's like, but it starts, it just takes one person, you know what I mean? And the the snowball effect that it has, it's like, the shit's contagious. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you see somebody glowing and leveling up and just loving life and not missing, and they're just completely dedicated to being the best version of themselves every day that motivates the shit out of people, especially if you're like, you know, as close as my family is, you know, you are, we all live under the same roof and you know, I like to think of us as like a machine and in order for all the machines to be fun, like parts of the machine to be functioning properly and be as efficient as we can as a machine, we all have to be on the same page going in the same direction. So that's something that, that I always tell people too, like, just, just be a leader. You know what I mean? Like you can't, especially parents, you know, like you can't teach your kids, you know, to be healthy and take care of their body. If you're overweight, lazy, and you know, you're not, you know, you haven't acquired that for yourself. Like kids pick up on that shit. You know what I mean? And, and it's like when, like, cause I I picked up on it, you know. I had family members tell, oh, don't drink, don't, and they have a beer in their hand, they're ready to fall off a bar stool, you know. Like they were they were telling me, you know, good advice, like stay away from the bottle. But it's like you don't, know, it doesn't resonate like that because you're looking at them like that. You know what I mean? It's like you you have a problem with the bottle, you know. Like why are you telling me? And I and I guess it could it could go both ways, you know. But <clears throat> I just feel like. The best chance you have at making an impact is by being the example that you need, like that you needed and that you need to this day. And then that the people who follow you also need.
0: And it's crazy because kids are smarter than what people think. 100%. They are always paying attention. And it's kind of like, even if you look at animals and kids are the same way they will remember certain traits or characteristics or things that are happening. And they just, anytime that situation comes up, they say something or they act in a certain way because they live by example. Mm -hmm. So they're going to follow it. Like a kid's going to do exactly what their dad does because their dad did it or their mom did it. So you are totally right with that where if you are leading by example, It's going to help them when they're older, and they're going to do the same thing to lead by example for their kids when they're older.
1: Yeah, and you're and you're setting a path like with action, so it's not just words, and it's not just you saying, "Well, when I was your age," like you're living it, and they know you're living it because they see it, you know. So it it's it's just a lot more impactful, and it holds a lot more weight when the actions are backing up the words, you know, because most of the time, when you have action. You don't really need to say many words because the actions speak, you know, the results speak. And that's what I try and get people to understand is if you're, there's nothing more consistent, not more common in this world than a consistent person with no results. So I see it all the time. There's people in the gym six, seven days a week, and they don't look like they work out. And not to go the superficial route, but to For the topic that we're saying, like leading by example, what you're doing is you're showing your kids that you can work hard and consistently do something and not get any results. That's discouraging, you know, like when they look at and and even for for your own well being like there's nothing worse than trying to talk fitness with somebody and then being like, "Oh, I didn't know you worked out, you know what I mean like there's something there's something to be said with somebody who gets the results because when you're in great shape, like regardless of we're just talking off first impressions here, somebody walks in the room is in great shape. Everybody notices them. They have a certain confidence about themselves. They have a certain level of self-love. They have like the confidence emanates throughout the room. You know that they're hardworking, you know, they're disciplined, you know, they're consistent, you know, they value themselves. Like all of these these traits you know just by looking at an individual who's in shape and I'm not saying there's there's no assholes out there that are in great shape but they're just an asshole I'm not saying that I'm just saying our first impression right when somebody walks in the room and you can tell that they care about their body and all the traits that they possess through getting that done it's it's evident and it's undeniable you know what I mean so it's like now flip it to somebody who's the opposite like think about the self-love you would have think about the self-confidence you would have think about the validation that you would have like that's the thing like my my daily structured habits are set up to continuously validate me and my confidence and my self-love like because the work instills the worth And that's one thing that nobody could ever take from me is my level of self-worth because I invest that into myself every single day and I validate myself through my actions and my habits are always aligned with the outcome that I desire for my life. Outcome changes, but my habits always follow it. You know what I mean? Like to live with change, you need principles that don't and you need habits that are always aligned with the outcome that you desire. And I think that's where people get it messed up. And that's where I got it messed up is my habits were not in line with the outcome that I wanted. I wanted, you know, sobriety and success and this and that, but my habits were
0: going the complete other direction. You know, something when learning a little bit more about you through social media, I found something out that you talked about a little bit earlier about how someone you met in prison created music. You, had a passion with music and were writing. How did that come about? And was this something that you always knew you were wanting to do? Yeah. I mean, that was something
1: like my mom jokes like that. I I came out of the womb singing and uh, (laughs) that was just something that I was always like drawn to. And um, even like before I was two, I was like, you know, singing in the Kasi, like all my aunts and my parents, they all like bring up memories and stuff like that. And then like back then, like CMT was big, like for the country and like the music videos, like they played them all the the rock videos, you know, like Mm -hmm. the, you know, Bon Jovi and poison, you know, the hair metal bands. My father was into all of them. And then my mother was into the country. So like when I grew up, it was like Goth Brooks just hit the scene. I like idolized him as a musician, um, Travis Tritt, like all those guys, and <clears throat> I was just always drawn to that, and uh, that was like a way of self-expression, I guess. Like in my teen years, I would write a lot of music. I'd do like poetry, and then I'd write raps, and then I'd write like um, like sing a songwriter stuff, and you know, <clears throat> that was always I just loved the the form of expression through that, and also like the healing capabilities of music because i remember like when i was struggling and going through my shit there was always like a certain artist that i could play yeah you know, would kind of alleviate or a certain song that could take me back or you know before a basketball game a certain song would get me hyped up and in the zone like that music just has
0: that power you know and that was something i always admired about it do you feel that another song will be coming soon do you feel that you could write another one right now? Um I don't know. I don't I don't know. I I mean it's
1: definitely a, a big part of my life still. Um but as far as like my own career, it's just right right now it's not <laughs> it's not not something that I'm working towards. Um but I mean I I would like to to record again for sure. It's just it's just not something that I'm <clears throat> I'm I'm pushing as hard as as hard as I was before.
0: You're just now just enjoying karaoke night on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not working, something our listeners like to learn more about our guests is what do you like doing for fun? When you're not in the gym, when you're not working, what do you like to do? So honestly, man, I love like going on walks.
1: Like I, I like when wife and the kids and the dog and we'll go, you know, through a couple of trails that we have here in New Hampshire. There's like park set up with a bunch of trails that you can walk through. That's I, I love doing that. I just love connecting with nature. Um, and then obviously like working out any anything that you know deepens my personal development. I love doing. Um I love helping others. That's something that you know gives gives me a sense of purpose too. And just, you know. I just love being around the family, to be honest with you, because, you know, having a steady, you know, 40 hour job and then having two businesses and, you know, being the provider for your wife and kids. um, It's one of those things like. If they have your time, we don't have the money, and then Mm -hmm. if we have the money, they don't have your time. So it's always a constant struggle of trying to navigate that perfectly. You know what I mean? So I just really value um, the time when we're all able to, you know, spend together, no matter what, whether that's going swimming at our family members or going to the beach or going on vacation or going, I just, or even if it's just hanging out in the backyard, just, you know, because we do that sometimes Like on a Sunday, we'll just like, lay out a couple towels and we'll just tan and just, we'll just sit there and talk. Like that's something that, that I like hold very, very dear to in my heart. It's just that, you know, we're just laying there in the sun, but like, to me, it's like, that's the time that I I get to connect with them after, you know, constantly being on the move and working and, you know, pushing this and closing this client and, you know, setting up this client. It's just like, you know, I, I got to like, I found more, more gratitude for, for little things. And and I feel like that's, that's helped me tremendously.
0: The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So
1: the biggest thing is it all starts in the mind. So you're never going to exceed your own level of personal development and you will never outperform your current self-image. So until you raise the standard for yourself and what you think you're worth, you're always gonna be at that, that same level and you'll never be able to overcome anything. Also, the fastest way to get what you want is to find somebody who already has it and have them teach you how to do it. A lot of times this is gonna cost an investment, but the way that I looked at it, right, it's all the money that I've spent on coaches and mentors and personal development and sobriety and everything like that. Like it was, there was no penny wasted because I never looked at it like, Oh, I'm putting money in their pocket. Like I'm, I'm putting money into me. Like this is, I'm reaping all the rewards of this financial spend, you know, and the stuff that was poured into me, Alex, I can't even, I can't put a price tag on, you know? And, that's what I'm trying to do now for others is time, kind of like time collapse for them. You know, like instead of beating the head against the wall, like I did and just being stubborn and ego driven and oh, I just want to do it on my own. I just want to do it on my, and it's just like the the best thing to do is get to the results, you know, because what that's going to do for your level of confidence and your experience and everything like that, it's, it's tremendous when you finally get there because what what happens to me and, and a lot of other people, it's very common is when you're like trying things over and over and over again, like discouragement sets in because we're humans. You know what I mean? And then that, that inner critic starts talking and it's like, see, I told you you couldn't do this. Mm. I, I told you you could, you know, so when you have somebody who's already doing what you want to do and you're like, hey, let me know how much it's going to be. Tell me, tell me what I need to do. You are going to get there, and then once you get there, now you are like, okay, what's next on the list? Because you already you, you shorten the time of of struggle and and heartache and aggravation because you got to the result already. Now, like your your confidence is boosted. You can check that off the list. Now you are spending. You have more free time to tackle the next endeavor. You know, I I spent over a decade trying to get sober and trying to do all of these things over a decade because I just didn't want to admit that I didn't know the way out. And I don't want people to go through that because I was in a very dark place and I didn't trust myself for a very long time because I had no self-confidence. Every promise I made to myself, I broke. And that is so detrimental to your mental health because when your subconscious mind can't trust what you say you're going to do because time and time again, you never do it. It, Like that's when self self self-sabotage takes over and it's just a motherfucker
0: to get out of. Craig, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Appreciate it. Tune in next time here. hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.